Well, what is up, Element Church? Uh, so thankful that all of you are here with us this evening. That includes those who are joining us on video here in the building. Maybe you're on the internet somewhere in a living room, around a computer screen or a mobile device or whatever. Thanks for tuning in as well. And if you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here at Element Church. And today is week number three in a sermon series we are in called Labels, Living in Our True Identity. And this whole series is based off of one passage uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament portion of the Bible, in this little letter called 1 Peter. And this is super important. We talked about this in week number one, that Peter, the writer of this letter, was one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus, which means he was an eyewitness to the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And before the resurrection... Peter, this, this guy we looked at in, the, in week number one, he was prideful, arrogant, self-centered, short-tempered, and he was a coward. So that was who he was before the resurrection. But then after seeing the risen Jesus, more importantly, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter was a changed man. Like he couldn't stop talking about this risen Jesus. They tried to stop him, even threatened to kill him, but his identity was now changed. And they could not stop this guy named Peter. He went on to write this letter uh, that was originally written for a group of Christians in the Roman province at the time, but ultimately, and should be encouraging to us, it was also written to us. God knew we'd read this as well, and it's about our true identity in Jesus. So there's four labels in this passage that define who we are in Christ. I'll give a recap on a couple of them as we read through this. Let's read uh, or look at 1 Peter 2. 9 through 11, I'll read it to you, says this, but you are not like that. You're not like those who reject God for you are a chosen people. That was label number one in the very first week and that, that we are all chosen by God, that regardless of who you are or what you've done, whether you believe in or follow Jesus or not, the good news is you are chosen by God. Amen. You're chosen by God. Now, you can completely reject that, and you can. You don't have to believe in God or that God chose you. But it doesn't change the fact that God chose you inside of your shortcomings, in spite of your sins, and to be set free. And he proved his love for you by dying for you on the cross. And so because God chose you and God loves you, we also do the same. So you don't have to believe what we believe to be loved here in this place. We love you just because God chose to love you as well. The greater news is that when we believe, we actually then get the benefits of being chosen by God. If you don't believe, there's no benefit in being chosen. But when you believe, there's benefits. And that was found in our second label, which goes on here. He says this, you are royal priests, which means we have been adopted into God's family. We are heirs, co-heirs, we are told in Scripture, with Christ. And then it says this, you are a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. So now they have an identity. 
Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. So before we look at uh, this week's label, I just want to give you a, like a heads up for next week. Uh, next week is the message I've been looking forward to the most in the series. I've loved this series. It's been great for me personally. But next week is my favorite message in the whole series. And next week's message, it will apply to all of us very practically in our life today. But I just want to throw this out there. Okay. School, school starts back up this week. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room today? Yes. Our houses will be clean again and the pantries will be full of food. At least it will be in our house. But school starts back up this week. And, and the message God laid on my heart for next Sunday, if I could preach to every single student on the planet, I would. Like if there was one message, I always tell you have one time to preach to college students, high school students, or middle, middle school students, next week's message would be the one that I would deliver. So I just want to kind of lay the groundwork for that. It will apply to all of us, uh, but specifically my heart uh, in that message thinks of uh, students today. So today we're looking at the third label in that passage that Peter says is true about our identity if we believe in Jesus. Peter says, you are a holy nation. Not a Bronco nation, can I get a witness? Not, not, a, not a free nation, not one nation under God, not a Republican nation, not a Democrat nation, not a, not a Trump nation, not a Hillary nation, or like most of us would say, not even a jacked up nation. You are a holy nation. You're a holy nation. And he says that to us individually. So if you believe you individually are a holy nation, but what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be holy? I mean, if there's one word in Christianity that I think causes the most confusion and debate in our faith, it's the word holiness or holy. So what does it mean? What does the word holy mean? Well, in our English dictionary, the word holy actually means this. It's on the screens. Dedicated or consecrated to God, sacred, morally and spiritually excellent. But Peter did not write this letter in the English language. He wrote it in Greek, and we translate it into English, so that we use the word holy. But the Greek word, and I'm butchering it and make no bones about it, the Greek word is hagios, and it means different, or literally, which is why I put it in quotes, in likeness with the nature of the Lord. So when Peter said, you are a holy nation, he is saying to those who believe, you are in likeness with the nature of the Lord. So in week number one, I asked a question similar to the one I'm asking today, although it was about that subject. But here's a question I want to ask today, and it's this. Am I made holy or do I live holy? Am I made holy or do I live holy? The answer is yes. It's yes to both of those questions. Look at what uh, the Apostle Paul said. If you don't know who Paul is, I always try to explain who Paul is because it's super important like Peter. Paul was a guy recorded in history who literally hated Jesus and hated Christians and was on a mission of genocide to wipe out Christians from the planet. It was on that mission that God saved Paul, changed him, and made him a missionary uh, to promote the message of Jesus. And Paul wrote this letter to some Christians. It's in the Bible called 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Paul says this, Now, may the God of peace make you, everyone say make you. 
May the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. So may you also live holy until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. So here we see in two verses that not only does God make us holy, but we are also to live holy lives. If that wasn't strong enough for you, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, a chapter previous, Paul says this, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. So God is the one who expects holiness from us, but the greater news is God is also the one who enables holiness in us. That God never expects us to do what he has not first enabled us to do, which means if he expects us to live holy lives, he will also enable us to do so. I'm preaching and I'm not even into my preaching part of my sermon yet. So am I made holy or do I live holy? The answer is yes. It's yes. So let me illustrate this, okay? I love telling stories, and this is the first story I thought of uh, when I was working through my message, and you're going to wonder as I'm telling the story, what in the world does this have to do with holiness, and I promise you I will tie it all back together when I'm done. So I'll never forget the time that I took my son Jonah on a father-son trip, he was 10 years old, with some friends of ours, uh, many of you might know who this is, but it was my friend Cody and his son Carter, who's the same age as Jonah, and for this trip, we were loading up the the family van. We were heading to the Black Hills of South Dakota. Uh, a, a family, wow, yes, Black Hills represent in the house. So we were heading up to the Black Hills of South Dakota. We had a family friend uh, who was uh, loaning us their cabin for the weekend, and we were building up this trip to our boys as a man trip. And we told these two 10-year-old boys, there's only three things required on this trip. Food, fun, and farts. And to the two 10-year-old boys we were with, uh, and to the 10-year-old boy in side of me, we thought that was the funniest thing in the world. I said I was the lead pastor, not a mature lead pastor, okay? So that's what we did. So the day before the trip, we went shopping for food. We basically put no limits on the boys of what they could buy for this trip, and this was not the time for dried apples and fruit bars. On top of the regular meal food, we had beef jerky and flaming hot Cheetos and candy and chocolate and uh, energy drinks, soda, Gatorade, basically everything that's not good for you but tastes so good on the way down. Can I get an amen from the foodies in the room? So we head out, we head out on day number one and not five minutes down the road, these two boys were mowing through our snacks and drinks that we purchased and being the awesome dads that we are, we did not slow them down one bit. So we stayed the first night on the way up. We stopped in Casper to stay the night uh, and we ordered pizza to our room. So on top of all the junk food, we had pizza as well. We hit the road the next morning, day number two. About 30 minutes into day number two, Carter, Jonah's friend, he wasn't looking so hot. Uh, So I was in the driver's seat. Uh, Cody was in the passenger seat. My son Jonah and Carter were behind us in the two captain's chairs in our minivan. And I was driving, and Cody noticed that his son Carter wasn't looking so good. And so he turns around to Carter and says, hey, Carter, you you feel okay, buddy? Yeah, yeah, Dad, I'm I'm good. Fine. 30 minutes goes by. Carter... You don't look so good. Are, are you sure you're all right? Do you need to stop? Are you okay? 
Yeah, I'm good, Dad. Don't, don't worry about it. This went on about every five, ten minutes. And with about every five or ten minutes, Carter was looking worse and worse. His face was getting more pale and green as we drove down, down the road. And the inevitable was about to take place in my minivan on this trip. So no matter how much Carter didn't believe there was anything wrong on the inside, it was about to be displayed in full force on the outside. So we were about 15 minutes from our, our stop, which was we were going to stop in Gillette to say hi to some family friends there. We were about 15 minutes outside of Gillette. When I hear Carter from the back seat say, uh, Dad, I don't feel good, so good. Like, oh, you don't say. We didn't notice there. I think I'm going to throw up. So I start pulling the van over to the side of the road to open the side door and let Carter do his business. When I hear Carter say, Dad... It's coming. And so Cody grabbed the only thing he could find in the moment, an empty Gatorade bottle, and said, here, Carter, use this. Can you imagine having projectile vomit into a hole that size? I can because I was there. So Carter takes that bottle and I'm sorry. And it exploded out the sides. I'm not sure anything made it in the bottle. It literally exploded out the sides. It hit the wall. It hit Jonah. It was on the back. I mean, it was everywhere, everywhere. Now I told you, you're wondering How does this apply to holiness? Like, I've seen a lot of things in my day, but that was awesome! (laughs) To quote the great theologian Jim Carrey. So, here's, here's how this ties in, okay? So hang with me. What's on the inside eventually will make itself known on the outside. It has to. It's the natural order of things. Jesus even said this. It's recorded in, in an eyewitness account of his life in the Gospel of Mark in the Bible, seven, Mark 7, 20 through 23. Jesus being recorded speaking here says this. And then he added, it's, it, is what, it, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. So what's on the inside will eventually make itself known on the outside. And there's a positive side to this as well that plays into our true identity. And I'm, I'm going to say right, right off the top, I am fully aware that I am walking a fine line here today with this teaching on holiness, okay? Because the danger for us as Christians in this discussion of holiness is to believe that by doing certain things, I make myself holy. But I can't make myself holy. Only God makes me holy. 
So God gives me, when I believe, a position of holiness in Christ. That in Christ I am made holy, but just because I have a position of holiness in Christ does not mean I don't also need to have a practice of holiness in life for Christ. So just like evil flows out of the heart and manifests itself in evil actions, here's the positive side, when my heart is made right, when my heart is holy, it will manifest itself naturally in holy actions. So here's the big idea for today, and I'm going to again say this, that there are some people that I know that you, you love Jesus, but you're not going to like the way I'm wording some things, and I get it, okay? The, the wording of this is difficult, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking all the believers in the room, hang with me to the very end, okay? Hang with me all the way to the end. Even if you don't like some of my wording here and you think that we're kind of leaning towards legalism, and I'm not, okay? I'm, I'm not leaning towards legalism, so hang with me. Because I think in the end, we'll all stand together arm in arm and we'll kind of agree on uh, the big truths here. So here's the big idea. Our position of holiness in Christ should lead to a practice of holiness for Christ. That our position of holiness in Christ should lead to a practice of holiness for Christ. That, again, my actions don't make me holy. But because I've been made holy, there should be a change in my actions. So, if I should have a practice of holiness, I think we have to ask ourselves this big question. What does a practice of holiness look like? What does a practice of holiness, a pattern of it in my life, look like? We're going to look at another letter from the Apostle Paul. Lots of scripture today. So Paul wrote this letter called Ephesians to a, a group of Christians in Ephesus. And we're going to look at 5, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. I'd love for you to follow along somehow uh, in your own Bible, uh, preferably. But if not, you can follow along on the screens or use the free Bible app version. Instructions are there to follow along. And if you don't own a Bible... Like we believe in God's word so much that it has power in our lives. We give it away every week. So if you don't own one, man, don't hesitate to ask for one at guest services on your way out. We will give you your own Bible. We believe in it uh, that much. So we're going to jump right in here to point number one. And the good news is, again, this week there's only one point, but have no fear. There are three sub points as well. So point number one, jumping right in here, is this a practice of holiness. What's that look like? Number one, I need to imitate God with my life. Imitate God with your life. And you might say, well, where do, you, where do you get that from? Like, why should I have to imitate God? Well, Paul, look at what Paul said in our main scripture, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Huh, imitate God, therefore, in some of the things you do. That what it says? No. Imitate God in the majority. Like 51% is good of the, no. Imitate God, therefore, in, let's say it together, everything you do. Why? Because you are his dear children. So this ties back into last week that when we are adopted, when I believe in God through Jesus, I'm adopted into his family as one of his own children. And because I am his child, I should imitate him in everything I do. So I should look at who God is and what God does and then pattern my life after his. So is anyone going to do this perfectly? No. But can we put forth a perfect effort? 
Yes. Yes. Now again, okay? No amount of effort can make me holy. But because I've been made holy, it will produce in me a massive amount of effort to pattern my life after God's, to imitate God in everything that we do. So what does it look like to, what are some things we should imitate in God? Well, Paul tells us, I love how scripture doesn't leave us hanging. He says, imitate God. And then it just, he keeps on writing Ephesians five, verse two, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So letter A in imitating God is this. I need to follow the pattern of love. Not just any love, but the love of Jesus, by the way. You see, holiness is not just avoiding a list of sins. We're going to get to sin here in a second, so don't worry. But it's not just avoiding sins. It is also living a life of sacrificial love like Jesus. Because holy living without a holy love is hypocritical. It's exactly what the Pharisees were in Jesus' day. So if you don't know, the Pharisees were the teachers and keepers of the law, of God's law. They would follow God's law to the letter, and they wanted everyone else to as well. And if you did not follow God's law to the letter, they would point you out, and sometimes they would put you to death. Then Jesus comes along. And he, he doesn't abandon the law, but he adds to it this life of love. And because he lived a life of love, it drew him to hang out with and minister to and call people to follow him who were the worst of the worst of sinners. The breakers of God's law, like you and me, not the keepers of it. And Matthew, Matthew, for example, was one of those people Jesus hang out with. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, like we kind of have a skewed view, I think, of the Bible story because we read it after it's already been done. But Matthew, we know of Matthew as one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus. He wrote a letter that's now the first book in the New Testament portion of the Bible called Matthew based on his authorship. But Matthew wasn't always Matthew the disciple or a writer of scripture, was he? Who was Matthew before he met Jesus? The tax collector. Tax collectors were literally in that culture the lowest of the low. They were unclean, vile, actually called in scripture by other people the scum of the earth. The only people who liked tax collectors and would be with them were other people who were just like them. The most unclean in that culture, spiritually. So Jesus comes along and he hangs out with Matthew. He goes to his house for a meal and hangs out with his friends. And then he calls Matthew to come follow him. And side note here, but let's not forget that Jesus called Matthew to be one of his disciples before Matthew ever cleaned up. So the Pharisees then, the Pharisees see Jesus hanging out with the scum of the earth and I'm paraphrasing here, I'm not quoting scripture, but essentially the Pharisees said to Jesus, wait a minute, you're supposed to be holy, so why are you hanging out with Matthew 
And again, paraphrasing Jesus' response, but basically Jesus' response was this. I'm hanging out with Matthew because I am holy. It's my holiness and the love inside of me that leads me to the people who need it the most. It was his holy love that led Jesus to call people like Matthew and quite quite frankly to call people like you and me to come follow him. So church, the world is not going to be won over by how well we follow God's law. Okay? Should we follow God's law as Christians? Yes, we should. We'll get to that here in a second. But the world will not be won over by how well we follow the Ten Commandments or anything else God gave us. The world will only be won over by how well we follow God's pattern of love. That we reach out to and touch and interact and correspond and call people to be a part of our home who have nothing to do with Jesus and are the furthest from him. Make note of this. I've said this before. I'll keep on saying it as long as I am your pastor. The people who were least like Jesus were the people who liked Jesus the most. And I'm wondering if that's true for the church today. Are the people who are least like Jesus loving the church today? If we're following his pattern of love, they should begin to, because that's who Jesus was. Our position of holiness in Christ should lead to a pattern of holiness for Christ. How do we do that? We imitate God's pattern of love. Now, this next part of the message, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you are literally off the hook. Like, if you don't believe in Jesus, there is no standard of living that I can hold you to. And that's true. In fact, one of the problems with God's church today is we are so upset at non-Christians for living like non-Christians. And we as a church try to hold a non-believing world to a set of values that was never meant for them to live out. Okay? So if you're not a Christian, you're off the hook. If you are a Christian, though, that means you are not off the hook with this next thing. Don't think for a second that you are off the hook when it comes to following God's command. So here's letter B in imitating God is this. I need to flee the practice of sin. Flee the practice of sin. Paul continues writing in Ephesians 5 verses 3 through 9. Please make note that Paul is writing to people who are already saved. This is a Christian audience he's writing to, okay? And this is what Paul says. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. And just to clarify, that phrase, sexual immorality, comes from one Greek word. It's the Greek word porneia. It's the root of our word pornography. And it literally means sexual promiscuity of every kind. So premarital sex extramarital sex, uh, sex, lustful sex in your mind or to your own body, homosexual sex. Uh, It's a litany of sexual sins. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Listen, such sins have no place among God's people. Then he goes deeper. Okay, we're wading, we're put on our waders today. We're going deep. Obscene stories, other versions use the word obscenity, 
foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, he's referring to those previous things, none of those people will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. Hello, church. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do, for once you were full of darkness. Before you knew Christ, it was darkness and evil. But now, after you've known Jesus, you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. And then verse 9 is almost verbatim what our big idea is for today. We use the word holiness. Paul uses the word light. He says this, For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Or for us, this holiness that's been given to you should produce only what is good and right and true. True. Now, I'm not expecting any amens when I'm preaching through this, but this is deep level stuff. Is it not soul-clinching stuff? It is. So let me lighten the mood for a moment to help illustrate, because it's getting tense in the room. On a Friday back in May, uh, our kids were all in school. As If you have kids, yours were too. It's my day off, right? one of my days off. And so my wife, Sabrina, and I, we decided to grab some breakfast here in town and then head up to Vida Vu. Uh, if, you're, if you're not from Cheyenne, maybe you're watching online, Vida Vu is this beautiful kind of whole rock formation, nature thing uh, out west of town here, about 20-minute drive uh, from Cheyenne. We're going to go up there and kind of do some hiking, take some pictures of God's beautiful creation. Now I've, I've made no bones about the fact as your pastor that I am not a big nature guy. Like I love nature. I love going out in nature. As long as by the end of the day, I can come back to the comfortable, safe confines of my own warm, uh, uh, you know, house that has uh, Wi-Fi enabled hotspots and installed cable television, either a house or a hotel or a luxury, you know, motorhome. Either way, I want to be in one of those at the end of the day. But when I go out in in, in nature, my first instinct, always, like no matter where I am outside, I am always on the lookout for snakes. Why? Because I hate snakes. I hate them. Like if I'm out in nature and I see like grass move, I immediately think it's a snake and going to die. Like I hate snakes. I know there's somebody here tonight and you're thinking, well, Jeff, snakes are good. They're good for the environment. No, they're not. You should be locked up for life. Uh, uh, somebody else, somebody else is thinking, well, hey, it'd be a funny joke to put a fake snake in Jeff's office or bring a real snake into the church. No, it wouldn't. And I mean it. That is not a joke. It's not even funny. Like I can handle practical jokes. One of our staff members put a lifelike mannequin in my office bathroom on the toilet. So when I opened up the door, I literally thought a homeless man was in my office. It scared me to death. I'm fine with that. You put a snake in my office and you're a staff member, even a fake one. You will not have a job tomorrow. I'm telling you. It is, not, it is not a joke to do that in, in my life. And so, so we went up to Vidavu, all to say, all that to say. And we were hiking Turtle Rock Trail, I believe it's called Turtle Rock Trail. 
And if you've never been to Vitavu, like especially if you live here and you've never been there, like go up to Vitavu. It is, it's unbelievable God's creation. And we were walking around uh, Turtle Rock Trail and getting some pictures like this one here of this little kind of oasis in the mountains. There's all sorts of these little ponds and streams that as you're walking, this is just gorgeous. It's almost like God just said, hey, just watch this. Boom, just drop these little beauties in there. So I got this picture, but I wanted to get closer to the water. We're on a rock there, you can see. So I went around the rock kind of down to the edge of the water on some marsh. It was kind of wet, and I was standing there, and I wanted to get a different angle, different pictures. I, I put up my phone like this, and as soon as my phone was up, out of the corner of my eye, I saw something down by my feet, like, just wiggle. <laughs> so I looked down there, and there's a snake that was, like, this big. <laughs> but, friends, it don't matter how big the snake is. So do you, do you know what I did? Like I am in my mind, this is what happens to me with snakes. I'm thinking I am standing in a snake nest. That's what I thought. My wife was over kind of that way, maybe 20 yards from me. And I said, babe, there's a snake right here. Do you know what my wife did? This loving woman, she pulled out her phone to film me. Now, thankfully, I reacted before she could press record, but I, I have no problem telling you that, I mean, the snake was this big. I screamed like a girl, and I ran for my life. I was not going to fight that thing or even flirt with it. Why? Because it is a snake, and I hate snakes. So spiritually, it reminds me of Proverbs 8.13. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. What do you do with, when you hate something? You avoid it at all costs. And listen, church. There are too many Christians who are trying to fight with sin, or worse yet, you are flirting with sin. But if we are going to find victory, friends, we need to flee from sin run for our lives. Why? Because that's what God would do. That's what God would do. You see, Jesus might have been a friend of sinners, but in his life, he fled sin. Our position of holiness should lead to a practice of holiness. So how do we do that? We imitate God by following a pattern of love fleeing the practice of sin. And then look at this. Remember, Paul is writing to people who are already saved. They're Christians. Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. And that's where a lot of people would focus on, but that's not the focus. Here's the focus. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the last way we need to imitate God is this letter C. We need to be filled with the power of the Spirit. Filled with the power of the Spirit. Now, this is what I believe, okay? And I know there are people in our church 
who love Jesus probably way more than I do, who disagree on my theological understanding of being filled with the Spirit, okay? But I believe that after I've been forgiven of my sins, after I'm saved, at some other point in my walk with Jesus, I also need to seek God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. Now, there is great debate among Christians on when the filling of the Spirit happens, how it happens, and what are the signs in our life of being filled by the Spirit. We don't have time to unpack all of that. What we cannot debate is this, that all through the New Testament, we are called, if not commanded as Christians, to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. Like, you can't argue with what's in the Bible, okay? So you might ask, well, aren't we filled with the Spirit when we are saved? Aren't we filled when we are forgiven, when we believe? And I would say, I don't think so. And the reason is, the disciples weren't. Uh, You can read this for yourself, it's not on the screens, but in John 20, verse 22, write it down if you want to, John 20, 22, on the very night that Jesus rose from the dead, He appeared to his disciples for the first time, and when they saw him, they believed. And John 20, 22 says, Jesus breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So they received the Spirit when they believed, but they weren't filled with the Spirit for another 50 days until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. You can read those on your own, and you will see that later on the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. All through the book of Acts, you read about groups of people who were forgiven, but were yet to be filled with the Spirit, and they were told, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So, regardless of what you believe about when you're filled or how you're filled, I think we can, we can all find some unity on the fact the Bible is clear. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need to be filled. So if I need to be filled and you as a believer might need to be filled, how are we filled with the Spirit? Well, against my understanding of it, but when we are forgiven of our sins, it's by faith that God, I believe Jesus is the only way to be saved. So I put my faith in Jesus. So we're forgiven by faith. And friends, we are filled with the Spirit by faith. That Holy Spirit, I believe you can fill my heart. And so I'm asking you, just like you forgave me, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? When we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. He resides in us. But when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he begins to reign in us. He rules in us. That I can have, again, my opinion, I can have all of the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit having all of me. And that's the difference between a Christian who is not filled and a Christian who is filled with the Spirit. It's like, it's like this. When we are saved, we are forgiven of all of our sins, but then we have these little compartments in our heart that we hold the keys to. And we let Jesus forgive us of our sins, but we hold on to little rooms in our life and we've not yet given Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the key. 
But when I am filled with the Spirit, what I do is I give Him all the keys. So that now He has access to every room in my heart and can unlock anything He needs to. That's saying, Lord Jesus, today, Holy Spirit, fill me. I surrender everything to you. And you may not even know what everything means. But the fact that today you surrender means tomorrow he might say, hey, I want to unlock that door. And you're like, go ahead, like it's your key, not mine. And he unlocks that door and cleans that up. And the next day he says, hey, I want to unlock that door. You're like, go ahead, it's your key. I I surrendered to you back then. Every key to my heart. Being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time thing. It might start one time. Like, just like you have a moment of salvation, you can also have a moment where you are filled with the Spirit, but then every day, it's this ongoing process where because you surrendered, He can now begin to sanctify your spirit. Sanctify is a big word for holy. (laughs) Setting you apart for His good and His glory and His Gain. So listen, being filled with the Spirit is not sinless perfection. It is spirit direction in our lives. Paul said this, Romans 8, 5, and 6. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And how do I let the Spirit control my mind? I surrender. Fill me. Control me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So if you would, please bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want you to do some reflection right now, especially right now for those who are believers. Maybe you're here, you, you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, but you're, you're looking at this whole idea of imitating God, and maybe God's reaching down into your heart and lovingly saying, hey, there is a pattern of love you are not following. Like, I've, I've, I've told you to love that person, and you're not loving them. Or maybe for some reason you have, you have a prejudice in your heart towards a person or people or a group of people for whatever reason, and you're not following God's pattern of love, and you say, hey, it's it's time to reach out in love. It's time to follow my pattern of love. Or maybe you're here, you're a Christian, but man, there's that sin that keeps tripping you up. And one of the reasons it keeps tripping you up is you've been flirting with it. And like something you hate, like me with snakes, it's time to stop flirting and start fleeing sin. So maybe God's working that in your heart right now to flee sin. Or maybe the last one, maybe you're here and you are a Christian. And listen, I don't understand all this either. I don't, I don't get it. I'm still working through all this. All I know is God has called us to be filled. I believe I have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And regardless of whether you understand it, whether you even agree with everything I said, I think there's some people here today that God is reaching down to your heart and he is saying it's time to be filled. Be filled with my spirit. And I'm telling you, just like you were saved, you can reach out in faith and say, dear Jesus, fill me with your spirit. Every key is yours. Unlock any door you want to. I'm I'm done trying to figure this out on my own as a Christian. I am all yours. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
I love you guys. Let me pray for you. And then Pastor Aaron has got some closing words. God, you are an amazing, amazing God. I thank you that you don't leave us in the dark. When you say we should imitate you, you clearly tell us what that looks like. And so, Lord, for myself, I pray that I would follow your pattern of love, that I would flee the practice of sin. And, Lord, one more time today, I'm re-saying and re-believing, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.